Let us now hear the reading of God's holy word found in Luke chapter 21, verses 20 through 28. And when ye shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. Then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let them which are in the midst of it depart out, and let not them that are in the countries enter therein too. For these be the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe unto them that are with child, and to those that give suck in those days. For there shall be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword. They shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. And there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of heaven shall be shaken. Then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to come to pass, then look up, lift up your heads for your redemption. Draw nigh. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. O Lord, our God, we do plead for thy blessing upon the preaching of thy word this morning. We confess that we are often distracted by many things and even those things that the evil one sows within our midst and we pray O Lord that you would give us clear minds this morning that you would give us understanding of these difficult things we ask O Lord that thy spirit would fall upon the one who preaches that you would come in great power and glory that you would bring conviction upon the souls of those sitting here today May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. As we come to this text of scripture this morning, I want to confess that this is a difficult passage. This is one of the most difficult passages in all of the Gospels to understand. And it is the most difficult passage to preach. But as we come to this passage, I want us to see, as we've worked our way through the Gospel of Luke, that all of this is set in context. That Jesus is calling particularly the Gentile nations to be his disciples. He has laid down the terms of discipleship. He has called them to love him. To give up houses and lands for the sake of the kingdom of God. 
And then as the conflict arises within the ministry of Christ, and as we see the insult and the um, persecution arise from within the the church of Israel, and as we see Jesus going into the temple and preaching there and casting out the money changers and making that temple a house of prayer, we see the Lord Jesus Christ's desire is for Israel, the people whom he called out of the earth to be his people, he calls them to obedience. And so when we come to this passage of scripture and we find the coming destruction and judgment that is to fall, these are troubling things. But we live in a day when people are more disposed to hearing the sensational interpretation of these things than they are seeing the instruction that the Lord God gives to his people. And so I would invite you to hold on this morning as we work our way through this. Let me remind you that this is God's word and that these things oftentimes are not easy to understand on the surface. But as students, as disciples of Christ, we want to learn. And in learning, we don't always have all the answers. So we will not go into all of the things that come up, the arguments that are often made because of the sake of time. But I do want us to come to this passage with an understanding of desire for the Lord to teach us and not to come to a place of arguing or or trying to dispel some of these things that come to the minds of people. Remember that this account of the Olivet Discourse is found in both Matthew chapter 24 and Mark chapter 13. And if you look at all of those, and I am a big proponent of the harmony of the Gospels. John Calvin has done a wonderful um, exposition of the, the harmony of the Gospels, showing those parallel accounts and learning from each one of them. We don't have time to do that. But Matthew's account is probably the most graphic, the most complete, the most detailed, whereas Luke is not so much detailed. But remember, in this account of the Olivet Discourse, we find here that the Lord Jesus speaks of a coming destruction. Now, this is the third prediction that Jesus has given of the destruction of Jerusalem. If you remember from last time, and some of you may not have been here last week, so this might be a good reminder to us. But if you go to Luke chapter 13, verse 34, you see the first prediction of the fall of Jerusalem when Jesus says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, she who has killed the prophets, she who has stoned those that were sent unto thee, how often I have gathered thy children together as a hen, and thou wouldst not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. And then in chapter 19, in verse 41, Jesus says again, when he drew near to the city of Jerusalem, he wept 
over it. He prayed for its peace and for its unity. Jesus desires for us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Not that physical earthly Jerusalem, but that Jerusalem that encompasses all the nations of the earth. And so Jesus writes here these things, these troubling things, to reassure his disciples in the midst of the difficulties that will come. And the question perhaps is arising in some minds this morning, well, how do you apply this? If this is all in, in what we see here in the context, this is in a particular event in the particular time of the first century. Where's the application from this? And yet Jesus reassures them as he reassures us that in the face of difficulty, that in the face of the uh, chaos of life, that there is hope for the people of God. And in the midst of judgment, God promises that hope. And so as we come to this passage of Scripture, I want us again to think of that in the context of the two questions that the disciples asked. Those two questions set up this passage very clearly. And so, as you remember there, previously, as Jesus is pointing out the beauty of the temple there, and the stones that form that temple, and as the disciples are looking over that temple in its beauty, they asked Jesus two questions. Master, when shall these things be? What things? The things that Jesus said would happen to Jerusalem in verse 6 of chapter 21. Not one stone will be left upon another. Then when will these things be? And what will be the sign that these things shall come to pass? Now there are those who suppose, and I think it's not found in the text, even in Matthew's account, that there's only two questions. Some suppose there's three. Some would say the third question is, when shall these things be, and what shall be the signs that accompany the end of the age? It doesn't say that in the text. That's inserted by some scholars. They just simply ask, when will these things be that you have described here in verse 6? And when will they come to pass? That's important to understand in the context. Because it encourages the disciples in the midst of the judgment that is coming. To remain steadfast and immovable. And not to lose their hope. And so here we find the coming destruction that Jesus promises will come to that generation. We'll look at that phrase, this generation, which is problematic for many. But there in verse 20, Jesus tells them to possess, possess their souls in patience. That when these things come, they are to be patient and filled with hope. When ye shall see Jerusalem compassed about with armies, then know, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. 
And so Jesus begins to warn them that when you see, answering the first question, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by Roman armies, when you see the armies coming against that holy city, then know that the time of her desolation is nigh. Now Matthew uses a different phrase there in his account. He says, when you see the desolation of abominations, then flee. Now some erroneously take that expression from Matthew and say, that refers to a time of, of great judgment far off in the future. And the question is, how can that be? Because Luke doesn't use abomination of desolations, but he's referring to the same thing. If you make the, the parallel account, if you see the harmony of, of Matthew and Luke, he's describing that day when the armies come against Jerusalem and he tells them, let those that are in the city flee to the mountains and those that are in the midst of it depart out of it. And let them that are in the countries enter therein. Jesus describes these events as the day of vengeance. As the days of vengeance. When you look at the work of that early Jew who wrote about the events of Jerusalem, wrote about these events, Josephus describes that in that day there were 90,000 people in Jerusalem that were led into captivity. And Israel was oppressed by the Roman armies. There was 1,100,000 people slain, Josephus records, in the city of Jerusalem. That's a big deal. That's not just a side note. That's why Jesus says, flee when that time of vengeance comes. Flee to the mountains. Flee to those places where you can find safety. This was the point of many of the reformers when they faced hard persecution. Calvin fled to Geneva. John Knox fled to Geneva for a time. And so we see here that Jesus says that when that time comes, when the destruction falls upon Israel, when the judgment comes in 70 A.D., it will come with vengeance. And so the desolation that Matthew describes is the desolation that will fall upon Israel and her temple. Now remember that without the temple, Israel could not worship God. Without the temple, she could not offer her sacrifices. That without the temple, she, she could not keep the holy feast days. And so the fact that the Lord is going to come in judgment and destroy that temple and destroy that city indicates he's bringing judgment upon whom? The Jewish nation. 
He is not bringing judgment upon the Gentiles. He's bringing judgment upon his people. They shall fall, Josephus says. And over one million of them shall be slain. Israel would be held in captivity by the Gentiles and oppressed. These are the days of vengeance. These are the days which try the souls of men. When you think about the theme of judgment, there's a tendency for some to think of judgment as all future. But you find the judgment of God depicted in the the minor prophet Joel. There in Joel it talks about the coming day of the Lord as depicted the judgment that would fall upon the nations, the judgment that would fall upon the nations gathered together in the valley of Jehoshaphat. The nations would be judged because of their treatment of God's people. And so we find there, particularly in Matthew chapter 24, that Jesus tells of the coming day of the Lord as a day of, of destruction upon Jerusalem with the warnings to escape and the judgment that will be seen visibly. And so this is sobering for the disciples to hear this. Jerusalem will be destroyed. And there are those who will see that Jesus here is referring to a future time when the Jews would rebuild their temple and others see the time of an earthly reign of Christ upon the earth when the temple is being rebuilt. But I want us to see here that the reason the temple will be destroyed, the reason why the city will be destroyed in judgment is because God is bringing an end to that era of the Jewish people. Some find that very troubling to hear. But here, Jesus is saying this will be the end of the nation of Israel when it comes in 70 AD. This depicting day of judgment is indeed the day Jesus is describing here. And even Dwight Pentecost, the um, old, I believe he is now with the Lord, but Dwight, Dwight, Dwight Pentecost was a dispensationalist, but he found Jesus in this text referring to the destruction of Jerusalem. You can't miss it because it's clear that the day of vengeance will come when the Lord will have that holy city surrounded but notice there at the end of verse 22 when the days of vengeance will come they are things that are written that they might be fulfilled and so Jesus speaks of all of the fulfillment of those prophecies and all scholars are in agreement pretty much John Calvin R.C. Sproul Sr. 
many others that this indeed depicts the destruction of Jerusalem that will be done by the Gentiles. But notice there in verse 23 as he continues to describe that coming day of destruction. He states there in verse 23, But woe unto them that are with child, to them that give suck, or those women that are nursing. For there shall be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. And so he's describing that this day will be a a horrible day. That it will be particularly a horrible day for women who are with child, for women who are nursing, for those who perhaps um, are more tender and and more weak perhaps in in body. It will be a, a day of vengeance for all the people. And so when that destruction came, wiped out the entire city of Jerusalem. It was foretold that this day would come. This is the desolation of God's holy temple that would come after the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we saw that in verse 35 of Luke 13. The destruction would come, the desolation would come. Daniel chapter 9 verses 26 and 27 shows that the desolation of the holy temple would occur. And that desolation does not come in the far future. It comes in 70 AD when the temple is brought down. And Jesus here is impressing upon them that the point is that this will be the end of the Jewish age. No more sacrifices for sin. No more Worship in the temple. No more worship associated with the temple would occur after the death of Christ. And Hebrews shows us that Christ came at the end of the ages. That he might be that perfect sacrifice that was foretold in the Old Old Testament. And so Jesus fulfills that Law, that ceremonial law. He becomes the sacrifice. And his people are to worship him, not in the temple, but in the synagogue. And so here we see that this is a great day of judgment that would come. It indeed is a troubling thing. It is indeed a troubling thing to think about that the day of judgment would come upon God's holy people. But remember, they had blinded themselves to the truth. We see that there in chapter 13 of Luke. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you've killed the prophets. You've stoned your preachers. You've stuffed your ears so that you cannot hear the word of God. And Jesus says that is a A dreadful thing when people do that, when they turn away from the prophets, when they turn away from the word. And yet the greater prophet, the Lord Jesus Christ, who comes in the temple and preaches, finds himself at odds with the Jewish leaders. He finds himself at odds with those who claim to be followers 
of the true and living God. This will indeed be a day of judgment, but will also be a day when they will see the coming of the Son of Man. As you look there in continuation of the passage, as it describes the wrath that would come upon this people, notice verse 23, that they would fall by the edge of the sword, that they would be led in captivity. Jerusalem would be trodden down by the, gent- by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. And there in verse 24 is a prophecy that deals with that new era that would come after the death of Christ with the Gentile nations. The gospel, the um, gospel age comes to the Gentiles after the destruction of Jerusalem. And so this is an end in an era. And oftentimes when the scripture uses the term the end of the age or the end of days, it does not refer to the end necessarily of this present world system. It refers to the end of an age. And so that age came to an end. And God brought them judgment because they refused to hear him and to receive the warning. But as the judgment comes, he describes it as a day in which there would be signs, the sun, the moon, the stars, and upon the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring. When these things come, these cause the hearts of men to fail for fear. To me, there's nothing that causes the hearts of men that fail more than to see so-called prophecy experts telling about these times when we will see the moon turning blood. You've probably seen this. I remember many years ago I was looking to see the moon was going to turn blood. It turned an orange or a red, but it didn't indicate anything prophetically. Here these particular signs that Jesus mentioned are not necessary literal things that will occur in the sun and in the moon and in the stars. It's showing what the prophets of the Old Testament showed oftentimes that when judgment comes, it would cause disorder. It would cause chaos. It would cause the nations to literally be shaken. And that is the thought of verse 25. That when the destruction comes, it will be marked by a huge disruption. We've seen disruptions in our own lives, haven't we? We saw disruptions with COVID. We saw disruptions with all of the masking and all of that. But this disruption is far greater than anything that had ever been seen in Jewish history. There was no other time like what Jesus is describing will happen in Jerusalem. And so these signs are signs that are often accompanied with judgment. Notice there in verse 27, and this is a text that causes much difficulty. They, and then shall they see the Son of Man coming in cloud with power and great glory. R.C. Sproul 
Senior has done a wonderful exposition on much of this. But here we see that the Lord Jesus Christ does not necessarily come in a cloud, as it is often depicted, but he comes in grandeur, he comes in majesty, he comes in hope for those disciples who are waiting for him. And so the, the text shows that the Son of Man comes in power and glory. That this is the power of the Lord Jesus Christ manifested against Israel. That this is the glory of Christ. Because the glory of, of the Lord God that was seen in the temple had departed. Ichabod, the glory hath departed. And so the glory departed. And yet he says to, to relieve their fears, to encourage them with hope that the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, as it's depicted in Luke, will come with power and glory in that day. And so these are, these are difficult things and we, sometimes we have to stop and, and think of these. Really think, what is Jesus talking about here? Because I think one thing that is difficult is when we read this text, some will automatically want to jump thousands and thousands of years ahead and say this refers to the second return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think J.C. Ryle is, is right on in, in some aspects. He was a premillennialist. But one thing he wants to guard with great zeal, and he did want to guard that, was that we as the people of God hold to a future day when Christ will return. And we do believe that. If someone does not believe in the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, it calls into question whether they're truly a believer. Because that is the blessed hope. But that is not the point of what Jesus is stating here. When the Son of Man comes, you shall see him. Verse 27, they shall see the Son of Man coming. When did he come? He came in judgment. He came in judgment upon Israel. But he comes with great mercy and glory unto his people in the midst of that. So as the Son of Man comes, we find that he comes to the Gentiles in judgment and that the desolation would continue until the time that God determines. Verse 24. I want to go back to that point. Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles. Until. The times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. What is he referring to? He's referring to that time. When the age of the Gentile nations. Will be ushered in. God promised salvation. To Israel. He promised salvation to the Gentiles. It was always his purpose, even in the Old Testament, to bring salvation to all the nations of the earth. Israel had rejected it. So now he's going to bring in that age of the Gentiles. And that will be the time that is fulfilled. And so in that Gentile age, the gospel goes forth. 
But there's a promise we don't want to lose sight of. In Romans chapter 11. Some of you wondered if I was going to touch on that. But there in Romans chapter 11. A very troubling text. Even for some reformed people. But there in chapter 11. Verse 1. Hath God cast away his people? God forbid. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham. Of the tribe of Benjamin. And then as you read through that text, it talks about the rejection of Israel that Jesus is dealing with here in Luke 9, or Luke 21. But it's not a total, and it's not a final rejection. Verses 5 and 6 tell us of a remnant that will come out of Israel. Even within the nation of Israel, God will elect a people who will be brought to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of the sovereign grace of God, because of the work of God's election, as we see in chapters 9, 10, and 11, there will be a, the Lord bringing a remnant in out of the ethnic nation of Israel. And they will not be brought in because they're an ethnic people. They're brought in because they will put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the text goes on and talks about that time when the Lord will bring in the Gentile, will bring in the Jews as a remnant. Verse 24 for if thou wert cut out of the olive tree, which is by nature wild, and wert grafted contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more shall these which are natural branches, referring to Israel as a whole, be grafted in to their own olive tree? And so verse 26, all Israel shall be saved. Who is Israel? It's that remnant that comes from the ethnic people of Israel. And so all Israel will be saved. Very difficult for us to understand in our day. And yet Jesus reminds us that he's bringing judgment. That judgment will come. And when it comes, it will indeed cleanse the temple of God, that temple that had been defiled. Jesus promises that in the midst of that, when his son comes in great power and glory, it will be a day of judgment for those who reject him. But it will be a day of great peace. It will be a day of joy for those who wait for him. But thirdly and finally, we see in verse 28, the Christian's triumphant hope. When these things begin to come to pass, when you begin to see the Gentiles circling the city of Israel, the city of Jerusalem, then look up. Look up, lift up your heads, 
for your redemption draw nigh. This expression that Jesus uses here, to look up, to lift up your heads, is a phrase that is often used to depict that they are to look in hope and they are to rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember there in the familiar psalm, I draw your attention to Psalm, find my reference here. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Lift up your heads, O ye everlasting doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong in battle. He is the King of glory. And that phrase, lift up your heads, O ye gates, is the same expression used here. That when you see the judgment come, when you see the time of desolation come, look up. Look up in hope. Look up because the one who is your Savior and your Redeemer draweth nigh. This phrase that is used here in verse 28 does not show that this is the end of the existence of humanity. But this is the beginning of a new era. This is the beginning of a new age. This is the beginning of the last days or the latter days or the Gentile age. When they are to look in hope to their Redeemer who draweth nigh unto them. And here is the wonderful hope. That is given to us as believers even in our day. When we see the judgments of God come upon nations. As we see the judgment of God coming upon our own nation. We are to be reminded that there are glorious days for the people of God. Even in the midst of this. There's a, there's a panic There's this idea of fear of men's hearts failing. Yet when these things come, Jesus says, straighten up, lift up your heads, for your redemption is coming near. This phrase in verse 28 refers to that redemption that was promised in the Old Testament is now full and final. That that redemptive age comes and is placed within the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that, in the midst of all of that judgment, the full and final salvation of all of God's people, Jew and Gentile, is now settled. And there's an expectancy and a hope. Now some would say that Jesus asked these questions and And uh, really asks those questions of his disciples not expecting them to understand. I think that is just absolutely crazy to think that commentators would say that. Jesus answered their questions. Jesus was not trying to to hide anything from them. They, They were confronted with this. They did not know how to respond to all of these things. 
And yet Jesus reminds them, look up, for your redemption draweth nigh. But as Matthew Henry brings this passage to a close, I think perhaps he is the most, one of the few that gives us real understanding as we come to the end of this passage. Matthew Henry says that this is a type and a foreshadowing of that final day when the Lord Jesus Christ will come to judge the living and the dead. The day has not yet come. We don't know when that day will come. The Bible does not give us all of those so-called signs that say, oh yes, he's coming tomorrow. If the Bible gave us signs that Christ would return, what would we be doing? We would be looking, we would be gazing about, thinking, yes, he's coming. You can see it in the moon. You can see it in the stars. They were to live with the expectancy and hope that he would come. But as Matthew Henry Henry reminds us, this passage gives hope even to those in the Gentile age, even before that final prophetic event when Jesus will draw elect people out of the nation of Israel into his kingdom, then we will see the Lord Jesus Christ return again in that final day. J.C. Ryle, I think, is right even in some of his premillennial thinking that the church does not think enough about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. The anticipation of Christ's return should stir Christians to lift up their, to lift up their heads in hope. It should stir us not to fail in fear, but to, to live in expectancy and hope that one day all the nations of the earth will become Christ's. And until that day, we are called not to fear. We are called not to live with that fear of what may happen tomorrow or what may happen in 2024 or what may happen after 2024. Those things should not concern believers. But our hearts should be stirred in hope that the Lord Jesus Christ will come. And so he calls us to live with that hope and that expectancy that the final judgment in some ways will be much like this. When the Lord Jesus Christ returns, he will bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. So as we think of this passage today, the question I want us to ponder is are we ready for that day whenever it is when the Lord Jesus Christ returns? There will be many, like in Jerusalem, who will want to flee to the mountains. There will be those who will, who will fall under the judgment of God and it will be a, a frightening thing. But it will be a day of rejoicing. It will be a day of joy for those who have looked up in hope that the Lord Jesus has returned. 
Christ has indeed ushered in that new creation. All things have passed away. And yet there's a glorious day coming when Christ will return for his own. Is that your hope? The return of the Lord Jesus Christ on the final day, the last judgment, is a day we refer to as the blessed hope. Is that day your blessed hope? Do you long for that day? The older I get, and the more things in this world begin to to shake me and rattle me. They shake your pastor. Yes, they do. They do not shake my faith in the one who will come. But we should never have our faith shaken in that sense. But we should always live with hope that Christ will return. We may be weighed down with sickness. We may be weighed down with despair. We may be weighed down with the the weight of sin and past sins that that have those consequences. All of those things can weigh upon us. But believer, your hope is in Christ who will return one day. And what a glorious day that will be for us who wait in triumphant hope. Christians are never to wait wondering. Christians should wait in triumphant hope. Occupying themselves, keeping all of their duty unto the Lord. Because that day will come. And I wonder if there are some sitting here this morning who are not ready for that day. Perhaps there are some here who who outwardly have given that appearance of of being a Christian or being connected to a church. But oh, like those Jews, your hearts are far from the Lord. And I would ask you this morning, if Christ were to return today, this afternoon, would you be ready to go to be with him? The judgment of God should be something that fear causes us to fear God. The judgment that comes should cause us to soberly ask ourselves, am I ready? Am I ready to meet the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you ready, children? Are you ready to meet the Lord someday? Because that will be a glorious day for those who wait in hope. It will be an awful day for those, like Jesus describes here, who will flee, who will run in desperation, Without hope. Jesus calls us to live in hope. I pray that today this passage would not cause us to to question or to, to wonder about the particular details. But that this question would call us to live in hope. That Christ will return again. May we pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we do give thee thanks this morning. For the wonderful truth for the wonderful lessons that we find hidden in this passage. We do confess, O Lord, that these are difficult things. We pray that our minds would not be shaken by the events of our world. We ask that our minds and our hearts would not be given to fear, but that we as thy people would live in hope for that glorious day. O Lord, bless this word to our souls and encourage us that we might 
look for that blessed hope and that glorious appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. As we prepare to come to the table of the Lord, let us turn to Psalm 35c, false witnesses against me stood.